and open up to two places this morning. Open up to Hebrews 11 and then find uh, Exodus chapter 14. We're going to read one verse in Hebrews 11 here in just a bit, and then we're going to jump over to Exodus chapter 14 as we talk and continue discussing what we're calling the faith chronicles, different chronicles of faith about men and women who really lived out real faith in the real world. And um, and it shows us how we are to live the, the faith that's been uh, delivered to us. Uh, in an unusual world, it's always been, there have always been unusual things going on in the world, but today we know the reality of that probably in ways that I'm not sure we have uh, in modern history. Uh, Bobby uh, Byerly, in uh, her book, uh, When Miracles Happen When Women Pray, she tells a uh, story about when she and her first uh, son, her oldest son, uh, had uh, committed to be counselors at uh, the Billy Graham crusade. And she said it was being held at Shea Stadium, and as it would be, airplanes uh, landing in LaGuardia flew right over the top of that stadium. They'd fly over and they'd fly over, and it became very, very distracting, in fact. And uh, she said, so on the night before the crusade was to begin, all the counselors met there at the stadium, and Dr. Graham uh, spoke to us. And while he's trying to speak to us about our responsibilities and just encourage us in that, planes kept flying over from, uh, to land at LaGuardia. And finally, uh, Dr. Graham said, uh, um, this just won't do. He said, we're going to have to do something uh, about this noise. And then he asked them all to bow their heads. They all bowed their heads, and he led a rather simple prayer to the effect, she writes. He said, Lord, we ask you to shift the wind and send these planes in another direction. Thank you, Lord. Amen. He said, well, we were all believers, but we thought that's still a pretty tall order, and we weren't sure what, if anything, we should expect. Well, she goes on to write, but God did it. He answered our prayers in, that, in a wondrous way. The next morning, the morning of the day when the crusade began, she said, uh, we read the newspaper, and the newspaper reported that the winds had suddenly changed during the night, and the airplanes, which previously had landing zones that flew over Shea State and had been rerouted another way. And sa she said, for several days following that, Thousands of people, as you know, came to the crusade uninterrupted by airplanes going over the stadium, and hundreds of people gave their life to Jesus Christ. She said, but what's interesting is at the conclusion of the crusade, the winds reverted right back to their normal patterns uh, where the planes uh, came in. On another occasion, I was serving as the uh, associate pastor in Clearwater, uh, Florida, and I remember we, had, uh, we were about to begin a massive construction project of a 3,500-seat auditorium, and we had the property, and we had designated a day for groundbreaking, and we, it was a big deal, and we had hundreds of our people had shown up on a Sunday afternoon. We had put all the outdoor equipment there, sound and lighting equipment, uh, worship music had been planned, uh, prayers of dedication and commitment had been planned. Uh, the groundbreaking was to, to happen, a message was planned, all of this. And about the time for the worship to begin out there on the property with hundreds of people from our congregation seated, dark clouds rolled in. And I mean dark, dark clouds rolled in. And not only did they roll in, they began to rain. And it began to rain pretty significantly. 
And I won't ever forget, uh, my mentor, Bill Anderson, got up from where he was seated uh, on the platform. He walked over and he said, just a second, he said, folks, we need to pray. And he bowed his head and he prayed. He said, Lord, we know that you've called us to this day. We know that you've led us every step of the way. And Lord, it is our great desire to dedicate this property to you, not only for now, but for the, the future and for eternity. And so, Lord, we ask you to stop the rain and, uh, so that we may worship you in, in this place. And uh, I'm going to tell you, the rain didn't dissipate. When we raised our heads, the rain had stopped, literally had stopped. It was gone. A hard rain was just gone. And uh, people were in awe. Because they knew a miracle had happened. They weren't in awe of the preacher. They were in awe of what God had done. That God had performed, they had seen a miracle. And I can remember years that followed after we had built that auditorium, I can remember people in the congregation still talking about, you remember the day when it was raining and we were going to dedicate and the prayer was offered, God stopped the rain and God did just that. Sometimes, by the way, you don't have to have a very convoluted or complicated prayer God hears a simple prayer, and that's exactly what we see in both of these. And I tell you those stories to remind you that faith and miracles are associated. Now, it's very important you understand something. Faith does not command miracles. Did you get that? Faith does not command miracles. Faith enables miracles. Faith enables God to do miracles that are in line with His purpose and His will. So understand that, because there are a lot of people today that would just tell you, well, if you have enough faith, you can, you can say to God, this is what I want you to do. God's uh, faith enables miracles, but the miracles are always associated with the will of God and the purposes of God. Does that make sense? And so you can, in faith, say, God, but it must be in line with his will and his purposes. Faith in God you see, is the catalyst to the miraculous way of God. And as we continue our Faith Chronicles series, that's what I want to talk to you about today. So if you are physically able to do so, stand with me this morning. We're going to read one verse in Hebrews 11, then we're going to Exodus chapter 14. In Hebrews 11, verse 29 says, by faith, there it is, that famous uh, two words in this chapter, the people, that is God's people, crossed the Red Sea uh, as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Uh, and then if you'll go over to Exodus 14, we find the, a fuller narrative of the story. Notice beginning in verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have we done? Uh, uh, what have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Father, thank you for this remarkable story to remind us of how our faith and trust in you enables you to make miracle ways where there appears to be no way for us. 
Lord, I think there are probably people in this room today who are up against a Red Sea and they feel like Egyptians are closing in. And Father, help them to turn their eyes to you and to watch and see your hand at work on their behalf. Teach us, Father, lessons about faith and trust in you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, without a doubt, this is one of the most famous stories in the Bible. Would you agree with that? I mean, uh, there, are, there aren't too many people that don't know this story. In fact, I would say it this way. There are not too many people that don't know Christ uh, or, or people that are outside of the church or, or people that are, are, are even not religious that don't know this story. I mean, most everybody knows this story, if nothing else, because they've watched uh, some of the movies, like the movie The Ten Commandments and those sorts of things. This is a very, very popular story, regardless of whether you're a follower of Christ or not. Why is that? Well, for us, it's because this story chronicles one of the great miracles of all time. And it reveals the power of God to deliver his people, regardless of the circumstances or the obstacles that they face. It's also a story about uh, their faith, but it's also about their lack of faith. Don't miss that. We see both expressed here. Moses' great faith, we see the people's lack of faith. It's rich in truth. It's profound with the lessons that it brings to us about the difference that our faith makes, our faith in God, what difference it makes when uh, we face the most difficult uh, times of our life. So I want to show you several powerful precepts uh, that I believe will help you enable and enable you to see the miraculous way of God in your life. Now, I want to do two things. I'm gonna, I have two major ideas that I want to communicate with you. The first is I want to talk to you about, about three foes of faith. There are three faith foes, if you will. I, that's the first thing we're going to talk about. I'm going to give you several observations. And then the second major idea in this passage I want to share with you are going to be three friends of faith, three faith friends, uh, you might say. Those are the two things. So if you want to go ahead and put those in the blanks there on your outline, um, you, you feel free to do so. But first of all, I want to talk with you about um, what I've called the foes of faith. You see, the devil is always fighting and looking for ways to undermine your faith. I'm not talking about saving faith, you know, the kind of faith. I'll talk about that at the end, but I'm not talking about saving faith, the kind of faith that saved you and gave you a relationship with God. I'm talking about uh, just living out your faith. Do you know I share with our staff this week a passage that says, just as you have received Christ, so walk in him. What does that mean? You receive Christ by faith. But guess what? That's not where faith ends for us then our daily life is to be lived by faith in God. We are to daily walk by faith. That's what it means. And that's the kind of faith that God most desires in his people is that we learn how to exercise faith every day because there all, all of us are going to face times where Egyptians are chasing us. All right? You may be here today and say, I've got some Egyptians chasing me right now. And, I, and there's, a, there's a sea behind me, and I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. Well, listen, this message is going to help you. And if you'll notice something in verse 10, you see a, an interesting statement. It says, and when Pharaoh drew near, and by the way, the reason we go over to Exodus from um, Hebrews 11 is because Hebrews 11 just tells us what happened by faith. This Exodus is the whole story. 
And if you'll notice verse 10, it says, when the people saw the Egyptians were closing in, Pharaoh and his armies. And by the way, you need to understand, that's, at that time, it was the greatest empire in the world, in the then-known world, and it was the greatest army that had ever been put together. And they're closing in, and the people see them closing in. And it says in verse 10, they lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And it says, look at this, they cried out to the Lord. They cried out to the Lord. Now, at first you might say, well, that's a pretty good thing to do, right? They cried out to the Lord. And then look at verse 11, it says, and they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt you've taken us uh, into the wilderness to die? Let me tell you what's going on. I wish I could say when it says they cried out to the Lord that they were going, oh, no, the Egyptian army. Lord God, we're looking to you. Lord God, we trust in you. Lord, you have delivered us so much. We trust you, Lord. And, and the, even though the armies, I, I'd like to say, because at first glance you might say, well, at least they cried out to God. But if that's what you think, that's what they did, you'd be wrong. Because here's what they actually did. They cried out to God, what are you doing? Uh, they were grumbling at God. God, what are you doing? Are you trying to kill us? It's that kind of stuff. So when it says they cried out, it wasn't like they hit a knee and said, let's pray. They were complaining to God. But it doesn't stop with God. Look what verse 11 says. And then they complained to Moses, didn't they? And by the way, that, that would become a pattern for them all through the wilderness, that they would complain and grumble to Moses. And when they were doing so, actually, it was an extension of their grumbling at God. And so wouldn't it be great if we could look at that and say, but you know what? In fact, I would love to preach this message to you by saying they cried out to God. What remarkable people. But they weren't. They're probably a whole lot more like we, right? And we cry out to God. But we say, God, don't you know what I, here I am, God. Don't you know what I'm doing? I, I, I'm trying to do for you. And, and, and so we see them calling out to him in that way. Now let me tell you uh, uh, something. The devil is always looking for a way to vitiate your faith. He's always looking for a way to, to undercut you. He, and here's what he wants to do. He wants you to doubt. Uh, he wants you to question God. He wants you to complain. And um, there's a huge difference between calling out to God, recognizing who he is, and crying out to God in complaint. There's a huge difference. Now, everyone needs to understand then that the devil uses some things to undermine what God is trying to do in our faith and our life. Let me show you three of them. The first is he wants to create fear of the enemy in your life. He wants you to live in fear of the enemy, whatever it is. Verse 10 says they feared greatly. Now, nothing stymies your faith like fear does. And did you notice their fear was a result of something. You know what it was a result of? Now watch this, because we've been talking about this in the series. Their fear was a result of their sight. When they lifted up their eyes, it wasn't like they lifted up their eyes to God. They lifted up their eyes and they saw the enemy. They looked on the enemy. It means they put their eyes on the enemy. And then after they saw the enemy, that's when they cried out and complained and grumbled to God and to Moses. Now fear, terrible fear, I think in this situation would be natural on some level. Would you agree with that? I mean, 
you're there, you're helpless. They weren't fighting people. They had no army of their own. They had been slaves and captives. So you got to kind of understand that in that setting, fear is probably a natural response, right? And, and I think I would be afraid if I looked and saw, oh, 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 oh look what's happening. And, and even crying out to, to God would be a natural response in that situation, but not complaining at God. That's, that's unnatural spiritually for God's people. Listen, the problem wasn't their initial fear. The problem is what they allowed their fear to do to them. Did you get that? The problem initially wasn't their fear. The problem was what they allowed their fear to do to them. And their fear created panic in them. Instead of trust in God, who had brought them through so much, their fear produced a kind of uh, panic, and it turned them on God. Their fear actually revealed something. It revealed how shallow and weak their faith really was. The people now had no capacity in this situation to trust God. Why? Because they were living by what they saw. Now, I think it's perfectly fine to say the enemy's coming, I'm a little afraid, but that has to be translated instead of complaint. It has to be like Jehoshaphat who stood before the people of Israel when they were outmanned, outgunned by uh, several national armies and they weren't prepared to, to fight and Jehoshaphat cried out to the Lord and he says, Lord, Lord, we don't know what to do but our eyes are on you. And God brought a great victory. And interestingly enough, in the case of Jehoshaphat and Israel, it says something that this passage says as well. It says, uh, God told Jehoshaphat, I will fight for you. It's the same thing God told Moses here. I'm going to fight for you. And tell the people that God's going to fight, I, that I'm going to fight on their behalf. But fear will do a lot of things to you. I, as I was working on the message, I thought, what are some of the things that I've observed that fear does? Well, one of them is that it will paralyze you if it is not submitted to God. Fear will paralyze you. There are people today, right now, in our culture that are paralyzed by fear. I'm not talking about legitimate concern and all that kind of stuff, but our nation right now, through, through COVID and unrest and all of those things, is paralyzed by fear. Would you agree with that? And by the way, when we prayed this morning, when our staff prayed this morning, one of the things we prayed is that, God, when people pull on our campus, when they come into our building, that you will remove a spirit of fear and replace it with the, the, the peace of the Holy Spirit. Because we know that God doesn't provide a spirit of fear. And one of the things that fear will do is it will cause, you, uh, it will cause paralysis in your, your life. Because the enemy looks more daunting than anything else that you might see. It'll cause you, uh, by fear, to just shut down. I'll tell you something else it'll do. It will control you with worry and anxiety. And you know what's interesting? Worry and anxiety are real emotions. But they accomplish nothing. And Jesus even said that. Who, by worrying, can add a single cubit to their own height and everything? He said, he said listen, walk with me today. We have these bracelets, you know. Many of you still uh, have the Matthew 6.33. We put them on there two years ago, and we still have people requesting these bracelets. God first. It is to remind us, hey, <clears throat> trust God right now. Walk with God right now. Today, 
Jesus says tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. And if you start trying to live tomorrow, you'll live in fear and you'll live in panic, especially uh, when uh, things are difficult and there are obstacles there. Uh, so fear will control you with worry and anxiety. Well, fear will cause you to make wrong and rash decisions. If these people had been left to themselves, they would have made some pretty bad decisions and they would have lost the protection of God. Fear will do that to you. It'll cause you to do, look, it'll cause you to do, there's a, there's a Greek phrase. It'll cause you to do something stupid, right? It'll cause you to make the wrong kinds of decisions, rash decisions. It'll cause you to make false accusations of others. They start, you can be sure there was infighting, but we know they were, they were fussing at Moses. They were fussing at God, but it'll, uh, fear will cause you to make false accusations of others, to blame others. It'll make you lash out at people that you love. It'll make you physically sick. Fear can make you physically sick. It'll cause you to lie and cheat and fight for self-preservation. It'll cause you to withdraw into a shell, and it'll cause you to ignore God. And you say, well, they were following God, but guess what? In this moment, they were ignoring God completely because they had turned inward. And that's what happens in our passage. And the fact is, when you put your sight on your enemy rather than putting it on God, fear will become the controlling force in your life. Often our biggest issue with having great faith is our fear of what we see over our knowledge of what is truth. Did you get that? It is our fear oftentimes that battles our faith because our fear becomes more powerful in our life than the truth of God that we believe. We're living in a season of fear, amen? I mean, we're, we're living in that kind of season, and it has paralyzed our nation, and it has turned people against each other, and it has polarized, and it has caused division. And let me tell you something. The only lasting remedy for fear, there is literally only one lasting remedy for fear, and it is Jesus Christ. He is the only lasting remedy. You know, the world will give you uh, temporary peace, right? You know what Jesus said? My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give, but it's a supernatural kind of peace, and that's why the apostle Paul said, the peace that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You see, the world can only pacify you can't really give you lasting peace because lasting peace is an eternal kind of peace that enables you to have peace in the midst of the storm in the midst of the trial in the midst of the adversity when your back is up against the sea or when the Egyptians are chasing you you can still have peace it doesn't make sense to the world but Jesus said that remember the peace I give you is not the kind of peace the world gives you what kind of peace does the world give you well let me give you an example one day you watch the news and they tell you hey uh, things are starting to settle down, whatever it may be, whether it's social unrest, whether it's COVID-19, whatever, and you start feeling good because you heard somebody say, okay, things are starting to get back to normal, whatever normal is, okay? And so you start going, you go, that's good to hear. The very next day, the same people come up and say, well, it's not looking good. This is happening, this is happening, this is happening. And so depending on what you listen to or who you watch, you go like this. One day you got peace, the next day you're in turmoil. One day peace, turmoil, 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 peace, turmoil. Listen, you know what that means? 
The world can't give you peace. If you're trying to find peace in this world, it's not going to happen. The only place you can find peace, and you can find it in the midst of a storm, is in Jesus Christ and Him alone. That's the only place you can get it. He is the remedy. Y'all got to listen faster. Let me get to number two here. So the second foe, what is the second foe? That fights your faith. It is forgotten power of God. The forgotten power of God. Verse 11, they said to Moses, you have taken us away to die in the wilderness. Listen, here's what that reminds us of. Their memory of God's mighty power on their behalf was short-lived. This hasn't, where they are is not long after what they've come out of. And they've already forgotten all the things that, they, that God had done. They had forgotten the, the works of the mighty hand of God. God had delivered them, think about this, from 400 years of bondage and slavery. 400 years. God had blessed them with wealth from the land of Egypt. They went out wealthy people when they left Egypt. God had led them with a a cloud so that uh, uh, the sun didn't beat down on them in the day and a, a pillar of fire at night to provide for their warmth and also to, to provide light for them. God had manifested his power on their behalf through the ten plagues. Remember the ten plagues? That hadn't happened too long ago, and God had, had shown who he was to them. And guess what? Already they had forgotten. And you think, you think this, I mean, you and I have the luxury, see, we can look back and we can read and say, I'll tell you one thing, if I'd, have, if I'd have been them and I had just seen God do the ten plagues, you know, frogs and blood and, and bugs and, and all, the death angel and all that, I don't think I'd have forgotten what God had done for me. You know, we have the luxury of having the story, but they lived the story and they forgot. We think I wouldn't, yes, you would, probably. In fact, my question to you is, have you forgotten all the mighty things that God has done on your behalf? Have you forgotten what he's brought you through? Have you forgotten, when when you find yourself backed up against the sea, have you forgotten what God has brought you through to get you here? You say, but I don't see a way. Neither did they. And the enemy was coming. Have you got some Egyptians chasing you right now? And you don't know how you're going to face the Egyptians? Listen, The battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. Don't forget what God has brought you through. Don't forget what God has done with his mighty hand. This was a moment that called for faith. It called for strong faith in the promise of God and in his mighty arm that had been proven, uh, that he had proven was working for them time and time and time again. But their faith was lacking. They had forgotten the power of God. They felt as if there was no deliverance available. They thought there was no possible way that they could be saved uh, from such a great enemy me. But God's word is clear. We don't have to live by fear. No matter how severe the circumstance, no matter how terrible the problem we face, no matter how hopeless and helpless the situation may seem, the believer is never to be overtaken by fear and faithlessness. We are to live by the peace that only Jesus Christ can bring into our life. And faith's testimony has a proven track record uh, in the Scripture and a proven track record in our life. We must not forget that. What God has done in the past must strengthen our faith in the present and in the moments when our eyes cause our hearts to fear. So I ask you, what has God brought you through? Remember it and rely on Him to carry you on. 
Then there's a third foe I want you to see this morning, and that is they had a false security in the world. Verse 12 tells us their response to Moses is, for it would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Now listen, their fear distorted their faith, and it caused them to think that their bondage was the good old days. Isn't that wild? For 400 years they had called out to God, deliver us from the bondage of our captors, set us free, God, come and rescue. For 400 years they had prayed that and cried out to God. And when God does it, the next thing we know is they're saying, it had been better for us just to, to live in Egypt. We told you, Moses, to leave us alone. That's what they said to him. Let us stay here and serve the Egyptians. You know what the Egyptians uh, 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 represent in their life? It represents the security of the world. Let us go back. We were, we, at least we were comfortable. We didn't like our circumstances. But you know what? When we look back, they're not so bad. You ever, you ever get bitten by nostalgia? You know, there's something about nostalgia. It always takes us back to the good side of the old days. It never takes us back to the bad old days. I want to tell you something. You really get serious about going back, you're going to find out that back there there was a whole lot of bad old days. But when you're in the difficulties now, you tend to think everything back there was the good old days and that the the world can provide the security that you need. That's what they thought. And the devil always wants to take you backwards. The devil never wants to go uh, take you forward. He'll propagate the lie in your heart that the, the old way is secure, that the old way is the comfort, comfortable way, and that the old way is better than God's path forward. You see, the devil really wants you to believe that your security is found in the empires of the world. He wants you to think that it's better to serve the Egyptians than it is to walk by faith. At least when I was serving the Egyptians, I knew what I had. That's, that was their argument. But faith says, you go forward, I'm going to show you the way. And, it, and here's what happens. They forgot who God was. And that God can make a way. And God is wanting to show them that if they will trust him, he's going to do something miraculous. And by the way, uh, something that the whole world will know. But they had to believe and they had to trust him and not go back. If you're more concerned with serving your Egyptians, your faith will flounder. How do I know that? Well, listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9. He said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And Paul writing in Philippians 3 said this, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward for what lies ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Listen, you can't live backwards and go forward at the same time. If your security is determined by your past, you'll never see the miraculous way and the miraculous work of God in your life. And notice verse 15. Look at verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Go forward. God says this emphatically. Tell them to go forward. The devil's never going to allow uh, your trust or faith 
in God to go unchallenged. He'll never allow it to go unchallenged. He's never going to say, yeah, it's okay, it's okay. He's always going to challenge your faith. So he fights to shut it down. He fights to send you back. And he, he fights to return you to the old days where you thought it was better than it really is, to the old kind of security. These are the foes that fight your faith. But let me show you three friends of your faith. Three things, three things that will help establish your faith and enable God to do his powerful and miraculous works in your life. In the midst of this faithless turmoil, Moses issues one of the greatest challenges of their life. He says to them, fear not, stand firm, and be quiet. It's one of the greatest challenges to their lives and to their faith. In fact, I think this speech by Moses that he gives to them represents perhaps the finest hour to that point in his leadership of, of God's people. And, he, and his challenge was based on uh, the promise that God had delivered in verses 1 to 4. Look at verses 1 to 4 in, in this same chapter 14. Moses said, to, uh, God said to Moses, you tell the people this, tell Israel to turn back and encamp. And he tells them where to encamp, and he says, For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They're wandering in the land, and the wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. They camped there. But they, they forgot. They didn't, they didn't remember what God was saying to them. God had already told them what he was going to do. I'm going to get glory to my name. And the whole world at that time, the whole world, he said, will know that I'm God. It's all about God's glory. God was already, listen, if you've got some Egyptians that are pursuing you, I want to tell you something. God knows it. And if you will trust God, what God's up to, guess what? He will make a way where you don't even see right now. And I love the line he says, and the Egyptians that you see today, you're never going to see these again. Now, there'll be other Egyptians pop up in your life. You know what I mean? But their fear was based on what they could see at that point in time, and God gave them this promise. And listen, in contrast to most of the Israelites, they understood the promise that God had given them there. They camped there full well knowing that the enemy was going to chase them. But when it happened, they didn't believe what God had already told them he was going to do. But Moses believed. You see, it is a reminder to us that sometimes we may say, well, I, I know what God says. I, I, I know what he says. I, I, I've read it. And I know what he says. But the question is not, do you know what he said? They knew what he said. The question is, do you believe what he said? You see, that's a big difference, isn't it? It's, the, it's one thing to say, yeah, I, I know that. I know that. It's another thing to adjust your life because you believe it. And, and that's where, thank God for Moses in their life, right? Because they'd have made some really dumb decisions. But Moses didn't just know it, Moses believed it. Now let me ask you this morning, have you got some obstacles in your way and you know what God says and maybe God is even giving you specific promises or that sort of stuff and you know that, but you don't really believe it. You don't really believe it. Listen, faith says what God has said, I will believe. And I will adjust my life accordingly. 
So let me give you these, these three precepts, and that will be done. Uh, let me give you these three, three precepts about how you, the, these, these precepts or principles, how they build our faith and help us to be men and women of great faith when the Egyptians are uh, uh, chasing us and when the sea is behind us. Number one, we need a faith that is stout. Verse uh, 13 there, if you'll notice, it says, And Moses said to the people, Fear not. That's a stout faith. And the picture, as one commentator put it, is this. God's people were confronted by the raging sea uh, that uh, was in front of them and a raging army that was behind them, chasing them. Thousands and thousands of soldiers and horsemen and chariot were marching toward them, and there was no place, uh, place for them to, to flee. They were hemmed in. How could they not fear? But then there's God's messenger standing up and saying, fear not. Don't let your eyes deceive you. We walk by faith, not by sight. A stout-hearted faith is a faith that is grounded in the promises of God that is the result of our relationship with God. John Chrysostom was martyred for the faith, and uh, I guess sometime uh, in, uh, I don't know, the late... um, um, eighth or ninth century, and uh, his his name means golden tongue, and and uh, Christendom was considered one of the most gifted communicators. And then he got saved. He became a preacher. He was considered one of the most gifted preachers of his era, and he was sent from Antioch as a as a preacher to what was then known as Constantinople in Turkey, uh, which was the at that time had become the eastern capital of the Roman Empire. And when he got there, he began to preach, and he began to preach against the extravagance of the ruling class, and the, he began to, you know, to preach about the excesses, and, and it infuriated many in the ruling class, uh, so much so that Empress uh, Eudoxia decided, to, we need to exile this guy. We don't want to hear his preaching anymore. And she announced that he would be exiled. They sentenced him uh, away. And so uh, when he was told of his faith that he was going to be exiled, this is what he said. Listen to what he said. What do I fear? Will it be death? <laughs> but you know that Christ is my life, and if I die, I shall gain. Will it be by exile? But the earth and all that is in the earth is, is the fullness of the Lord's. He said, will it be the loss of wealth? He said, well, the fact is we brought nothing into this world. We can carry nothing out. And so, he says, thus all the terrors of the world are contemptible in my eyes, and I smile at all its good things. Poverty I do not fear, riches I do not sigh for, death I do not shrink for. I want to tell you, that's a stout-hearted faith, isn't it? That's a stout-hearted faith. That's a fearless kind of faith. And likewise, the Bible gives us reasons that we can have a stout-hearted faith. Let me give you one of them. The Bible says in Romans 8, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to tell you, that's why you can have a stout-hearted faith. And then, and then in Deuteronomy 31, we are reminded God said, be strong and courageous to his people. Do not fear or be in dread of them. 
For it is the Lord your God who goes with you, and he will not leave you or forsake you. I want to tell you something. That's why we can live with a stout-hearted faith. Everything in life is not easy for the believer. We know that as we sit here this morning. Everything isn't easy. But faith in God finds strength to go forward. And when we understand that He is on our side, we do not have to live by faith, but we can do exactly what God told His people there, go forward. Paul also would say in Romans 8, 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? I want to ask you this morning, has the magnitude of that statement, of that fact given to us, by, it really impacted your life? God is for you. God is on your side. Even when you're facing Egyptians, God is on the side of his people, and God is looking for ways that he can bring glory to his name through you and your circumstances. And so that's a stout faith. And then secondly, uh, a friend of faith is something else we need, and that is a faith that's stable. Verse 13, you know, so fear not. Secondly, stand firm. That's a stable faith. The idea, the idea here is to position yourself by faith and watch God work on your behalf. Position yourself. Moses said, position yourself. Take a position and watch what I'm about to do. Imagine standing still and seeing this enormous army of Pharaoh advancing towards you. Now, I have to tell you, your first instinct is going to be, let's run. Let's try to find a way out. And then suddenly the messenger of God begins to declare to them, Moses begins to say to them, just stand still. Right where you are, stand. The enemy is going down. Now, God himself is going to fight for you. The, the enemy that you see, you will never face again. You see, when we're faced with trouble, our instinct to flee is our solution, but it's not the way of God. God wants us to watch Him. He, he wants us to see His mighty hand of salvation and deliverance. And I want to tell you sometimes in your life, especially in uncertain days that we've been living in, and by the way, we have seen how quickly things can change, right? You know what Jesus said? When you see these things, he said, lift up your eyes, your redemption draws near. You know, let me tell you a good way to look. Instead of looking at everything that's going on, do this. It might be today. He might come back tomorrow. Instead of looking out there, look up. Watch him. And say, okay, today, maybe today. Lifting up my eyes to him. I'm not looking out there at the Egyptians. I'm going to look at him. A stable faith says uh, 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 that God will deal with the enemy of our souls and our life, but we need to keep our eyes fixed upon him, to look upon him. His hand will work for us, the Scripture says. So take your stand. And by the way, you notice something? You cannot watch God if you're running from him. You can't watch God if you're running backwards. And that's why Moses said, okay, we're going to go forward, but, but um, um, I want you to watch God. You can't watch God and run from God at the same time. The Bible says this in Psalm 46, be still. And know that I am God. 
Do you know what that idea is there? It is just settle down, calm down, and put your eyes on God. Be still. And a lot of you probably have heard that verse before. Be still, know that I'm God. But we, don't, we quote that one a lot, but we don't finish it. Listen to what he says. Be still, know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. I mean, that verse there, the psalmist is saying, just settle down. God is going to manifest himself in such a way. You just watch what God is going to do. Be still. Keep your eyes on God. Watch what he does. A stable faith is a faith that can stop, a faith that can stand, and a faith that can wait for God to fulfill his word. Isaiah the prophet writes, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Moses says, stand and see the salvation of God. I want to ask you something. Do you need to stop and stand and just wait and watch God for a while? Is there something you're, you're trying to get away from when God is trying to get you just to stand and put your eyes on him and watch what he does on your behalf? Is there something, are there some Egyptians in your life and you need to just say, God, I'm, going to let, I'm, I'm watching you. I'm just going to watch you. I'm going to put my confidence in you. You are my salvation. When fear attacks, listen, stand firm in the protection of God and see the salvation of God. When anxiety attacks, stand firm in the presence of God and watch the salvation of God on your behalf. When doubt attacks, stand firm in the promises of God and see the salvation of God. Makes sense, doesn't it? It's what Moses, what God said. That's the declaration that, that, that God spoke to the people of God through Moses. So we have a stout faith. It's a friend. We have a stable faith that stands. But last, and here's what I close with, we must have a faith that is silent. Verse 14, I love this. He says, now the Lord's going to fight for you. The only thing you need to do, do is be quiet. It's a kind way of saying, shut up. Um, how many times have you're, in your life have, have you wished you'd just kept your mouth shut? Anybody here say, oh, man, I wish. There's, I, have you ever done that? You know, you spoke something, and you, as soon as you said it, you thought, oh, I wish I could bring that back in. I wish I could reel that back in. Uh, why? Because we all know that, that many times our lack of silence has gotten us in trouble, right? Well, you know what, what this is related to? What is going to get them in trouble if they don't shut up? You remember when I started talking to you, the two things that they were doing, they were complaining to God and they were uh, grumbling at Moses. Complaining at God, grumbling at Moses. So you know what happens? God says, shut up, complaining. Stop grumbling. I need you to know that I'm going to fight for you. Keep your mouth shut. Now, he's not talking about talking. He was talking about it's time for you to not complain. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever complained to God? You know, God, here I am. I'm just trying to do your will. You ever had a spiritual pity party? I mean, I'm sure you've had personal pity parties before. Have you ever had a spiritual one? You know what a spiritual pity party is? 
It's a subtle way of complaining to God. God, I'm just trying to do it your way, and every time I try to do it your way, it seems like something doesn't work and everything, and I don't understand, uh, God, why, why this stuff is happening to me. In fact, God, I know some people it ought to be happening to. Why me, Lord? And what God's really trying to say is, if you will trust me, if you'll put your eyes on me, I'm going to do something on your behalf that you could never do, so just be quiet. I can tell you, I've had some times, I don't have time to tell you a couple of stories that are in my brain right now, but I can tell you, I've had several times over the years when God told me to shut up. Now, preaching isn't one of them. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean some some Egyptian situations where God is whispering, and I, I thought, God, I'll, I'll handle that. And God says, you handle it, and whatever you can come up with will, will be the best you'll get. But if you'll shut up, I'll take care of it. And when I listened to him, he did. Man, they're great stories. But he said, just be quiet and let me fight for you. Well, God wants to fight for us. It's what he wants to do. Notice... Verse 15 again, we call attention to it. Go forward. Here's what he means. Stop crying. Stop crying out to me. And by the way, now listen, be careful what I'm about to say and stop praying about it. Try, start, stop. He, they didn't have to pray about this. Did you know there are some things that you don't have to pray about? What are those things? There are things that God's already told you in his word. I don't have to pray. For, let me give you an example. Should I tell uh, uh, people around me about Jesus Christ. I, I need to pray about that. Do I need to pray about that? No, he's already made it very clear in his word what I'm supposed to do. Now, in this case, they didn't have to pray, God, do we go forward? Do, do you want us to go forward, God? They didn't. That's what he meant. He said, be quiet and go forward. Because God had already told them what he was doing, what he was up to. They didn't have to pray, and then they didn't have to get a strategy. Stop crying out. You don't need a strategy. I am your strategy. I'm going to fight for you. And guess what? Go forward and stop blaming other people. Well, it's Moses, God. Moses, Moses doesn't understand us. Stop. Stop and go forward is what he says to them. I want to tell you something. This has been valuable stuff in my life. When I, I've had to learn sometimes, instead of having that spiritual pity party, go forward. And that's what's happening here. Now listen, you know when they saw the miraculous way of God? When they took the next steps and they went forward. That's when the, the sea parted. When, when they went forward in faith, trusting God, guess what they got to see? The miraculous way of God. Friend, listen to me this morning. Faith that leads to the miraculous way of God is faith that is stout. It's based on the promise of God, and it's not controlled by fear. Faith that leads to the miraculous way of God is faith that is stable. It's based in the presence of God. God is with us, and as a result, our faith doesn't wobble. Our belief doesn't wobble. Faith that goes forward and sees the miraculous way of God is a faith that is silent. Silence means, again, not talking. It, 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 doesn't, it's not, it means Based upon the power of God, I'm going to let God handle the situation. I'm not going to coach him. You ever coached God? 
God, here's how I think you ought to do this. God, this would be a better way. I've been thinking about this, God, and you have given me a brain to think with. And so I've used my brain, and God, here's why I think you're, I, I want to tell you something, we miss the power of God a lot of times because God's trying to say, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts, and if you will just be quiet and quit coaching me, I'll take you through, and I'll show you my miraculous way. George Mueller, I close with this, George Mueller, um, I told you for a lot of years, you ought to read a biography on George Mueller. What a great, incredible man of faith. You want to read about uh, faith in action, read George Mueller. And there are a lot of great biographies on George Mueller. Read one. Get a, get a small one if you want, but, but there are lots of them. And you ought to read about George Mueller. Uh, what an incredible man of faith. And he said this, listen, faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. Do you get that? Faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. Now, why is that? He answers. He says, there is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Because if it's humanly possible, you've always got a logical explanation for how it was pulled off or how it happened, right? But he then adds, faith begins where man's power ends. Faith begins where man's power ends. That's what God was trying to get them to do. And you know what? Nothing's changed. In thousands of years, God is still saying the same thing to us. He's still saying, fear not. He's still saying, stand firm. And he's saying, be silent and watch me fight the Egyptians that are chasing you. Faith in God enables the miracle way of God. But I said this at the beginning, but there's something else. Faith in God also enables the miracle way to God. You get that? You know the Bible says how you and I are made right with God? By faith. In chapter 11, we see it says on a couple of occasions, and God counted their faith as righteousness. They were saved the same way we're saved. We're saved by faith. Christ has done the work for us. We just have to receive what he's done. We receive it by faith. Faith in God provides the miracle path to God. That's why Paul would say, by, faith, by, by um, grace through faith are you saved. Not of yourself. It is not of works. It is the gift of God. Today, there may be those who are watching us by live stream, th those uh, in this room right here, and you're not sure that you've ever expressed saving faith. Saving faith. And by the way, you can't walk by faith daily if you don't, haven't been saved by faith to start with. And today, if you're not sure, you can make sure. Today, if you know that's not the case, you can take care of that. And I want to ask everybody in this room before we're gone, I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And I want, to, I, I want to offer to you the path to God by faith. 
you can receive him. If you're not sure you ever have, you can receive him today. And those of you who are joining us by television or joining us by live stream, you do the same thing right where you are, and you offer a prayer in your heart to God that goes something like this. Say this to him right here. In this room, if you're not sure that you're saved, you do this. If you are watching us, you do this. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me and dying for my sins. I know I'm a sinner, and I know there's no hope in me apart from you. And so I invite you to come into my life and by faith... I receive you as my Savior, and I receive what you did for me on the cross by faith. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Now, Lord, I pray for those in this room. I pray for those who are joining us, wherever they may be, Lord, that offered to you that prayer. I pray, Father, that you will begin the new transforming work, making them into the new creation, Father, that comes through rebirth in Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that you'll help them to not be ashamed of you, but to follow you with all their heart. And Lord, I pray that you'll begin to change the way they see the world, change the way they walk each day as they now begin to put their eyes upon you. And I pray, Father, that their life will be made new based upon the promise and the work of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.